0: Let's pray together as we get started. Our Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for gathering your people together um, to worship you. I pray that over um, these few minutes together that Jesus would be glorified, that Jesus would be made known, that he'd be lifted up, that, um, that the Holy Spirit would be at work to, to open up our hearts to, to know your great love for us, to know what you're really like. Uh, and to see who we are in light of who you are. I pray that you speak over the next few minutes. Say what you want to say to each one of us. Um, I pray that you have our ears open to hear what you want us to hear. Uh, And just be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So this week we are beginning our series through the Lord's Prayer. Um, And we're beginning with just the first four words of this prayer that Jesus taught his followers to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And those four, those four words are this, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. The good news contained in these four words is, it's astounding. It's so deep. It's so wide. We can, we can only begin to scratch The surface together of it this morning. But my hope is that you're going to be encouraged to spend some time praying the Lord's Prayer, maybe going through it slowly, going through it repeatedly throughout your week, and that one day, really soon, you'll be praying this prayer. And even as you are just beginning with these first four words, our Father in heaven, you're just going to get stopped in your tracks. It's like the sheer weight of the reality that these first Four words announce, like lands on you. And my hope is that you're going to experience the deep joy that these words of good news ought to inspire. The, the rest of the Lord's Prayer, it might be considered to be made up of requests or petitions or supplications, etc. But these first four words announce and proclaim a reality that I think should just like, melt us regularly. So I want us to hear the good news of these four words this morning, and I'm, I'm praying even now that the Holy Spirit will do the, word of taking, do the work of taking this good news from our heads and down into our hearts, because this good news, when believed, it changes everything about how we pray this prayer. Now, in these four little words, there are at least three parts that we can examine. There's the word our... There's the word Father, and then there's the words in heaven. We're going to skip hour for now, and we're going to come back to that. And that's because I want to first talk about like, how Jesus instructs us to call on God in prayer, the name that Jesus says we ought to use, and that's Father. As a boy who grew up without a father and who had some father figures who have utterly failed in my life, I just want to say, like, I know that the name Father can contain a lot of baggage for many of us. If Father isn't associated with a lot of good things in your life, or if Father is associated with a great many hurtful things in your life, then, the, then associating God with the term Father may cause you to think of him in some unhelpful ways. Maybe it raises questions like, is God distant? Is God perhaps absent is, is God controlling? Is God only concerned with my performance? Do I need to measure up to be worth something to him? Is God concerned only with himself? Is God using me? And probably a great many other questions. And I do want to address our modern sort of difficulty with the name Father, but first I think we have to understand like the weight of that name for those who Jesus first instructed to use it. A father's identity was linked to his children. Perhaps his children could even be seen as a gauge to his own value in the world. And to call somebody father was to identify yourself with them, to like say you belong with them. It meant like you would carry on whatever he started, that his beliefs, his traditions, his values, his vocation even would be yours. My father's worth is where I get my worth from. What my father does is what I will do also. And prior to Jesus teaching his followers this prayer in Matthew 6, God had long called himself father of the people of Israel, right? Back in Exodus chapter 4, 22 through 23, God instructs Moses saying, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel My firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And of course, like God delivered his people from Egypt, he gave them an identity as his people, he gave them an identity as his son, as his child. And then later, when the nation of Israel is already established, God speaks through the prophet Nathan to King David and he promises in 2 Samuel 7:14, he says this, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever and I will be to him a father and he shall be to me. A son. See, this was a promise of a coming king, of a coming Messiah. It was the promise that he would send Jesus to stand for Israel as God's son. That it would be through him that he would deliver on all of the Father's promises to his people, to his child, Israel. Maybe you remember those promises that God made through the Old Testament to Noah, Abraham, Moses. They were always about restoring the nations into the family of God. And so here in Matthew 6, Jesus, who is God's son, who's teaching his followers to pray, was in the process of fulfilling God's purpose for his people He was once and for all in the process of liberating all those enslaved to sin, the nations, into their identity as God's own children. And so Jesus, he's teaching this, and he says, When you pray because of me, you call on God as Father. And so for us to do that is to understand ourselves as already sons and daughters of God. It's to understand ourselves as Peter calls us in 1 Peter 2, 9-10 through 10, where he says, You're a chosen race. You're royal. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. To call on God as father at the beginning of this prayer is to understand yourself as identified with him as his own child through the work of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have been saved by his grace, your entire identity is tied up in who God is. Whatever you're worth, it comes from whatever he is worth. And he isn't the mere earthly father he isn't all that we might negatively associate with the word father that's not what he's like at all like the lord the lord's prayer begins with this announcement not that just that he's just our father but that he's our father in heaven what does that mean i'm afraid that some of us have prayed this prayer saying our father in heaven or our father who is in heaven or our father who art in heaven and we've taken it to mean that that God's not near to us that he's distant that he's in another place than we are like maybe he can hear our prayers from from wherever he is at least we hope he does but still he's in heaven and we are on earth But this isn't the case. Our Heavenly Father is not distant. He's not far off. What our Father in heaven really means is that He is with us, that our Father is present, and that His presence is heavenly. Our Father is present, and His presence is heavenly. See, I think we often mistake, like, talk of heaven with some sort of geographical, like, location, right? Some, some land in the clouds or perhaps in space. We don't really know where it is. Perhaps it's behind some planet somewhere. But it's somewhere out there. We know it's beautiful and good, and we'd like to go there someday. Hopefully we'll get to. But as I've said before, our heavenly imagination is far too small. We seem to understand the idea of heaven, of hell on earth easier than we understand the idea of heaven on earth. Heaven isn't so much a place, so much a geographical location as it is a reality. It's the reality that we were created for. It's the reality that God exists in always and forever because it exudes from who he is. Heaven, as we find in Revelation, is the reality where we will live in unity with God and with each other and with all of his creation forever. It's a reality where there are no tears, there is no more pain, there is no more death or suffering, and what heaven is like comes from what our Father himself is like, and it's not just like this future reality for him, it's what he's like presently. It's what he's like always and forever. What is our heavenly father like? What is our father in heaven like? If we went back to that story with Moses, where God calls the Israelites his children, and if we follow that story, we find a father who comes out to save his people from slavery in Egypt with power and with might. And then as he saves them he makes a tabernacle among his people so that he can be with them. In Hosea 11:3 it says, "Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them." Right? It's this picture of a father who has held the hands of his children like teaching them to walk as they grow. The prophet Isaiah speaks of of a God who will crush mountains and lift up valleys to make a path to be with his children. In Jesus, he came to lay down his life for us so that we could be called children of God. And as children, we're called to grow up into his likeness, to become like he already is, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians 5, through 23. And so we know that that means God is loving, that he is joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, gentle, faithful, self-controlled. And that is what our Father in heaven is really like And this is good news. He doesn't father us passively or from a distance. He doesn't fail us the way earthly parents might fail us. Our Father in heaven loves us deeply. He gives us his identity so that we take on the worth of a child of the King of Kings. As J.I. Packer wrote, He's our heavenly father, which means that he is free from all the limitations, inadequacies, and flaws that are found in earthly parents. And that his fatherhood, like all his other relationships, is from very, from every standpoint absolutely ideal, perfect, and glorious. And then Packer further encourages us then as we pray these first four words. To let your thoughts move like to and fro, like an accelerating Pendulum, taking ever ever wider swings. He say, he's my father, and he's God in heaven. He's God in heaven, and he's my father. It's beyond belief, he writes, but it's true. And then he says, let it grasp you, and then tell God how it makes you feel. See, as we enter into the Lord's Prayer, this is the good news we should hear proclaimed. He is my father and he is God in heaven. He is God in heaven, and he is my Father. It's unreal, yet it's the reality that we are being confronted with as we enter into prayer. Our Father is present, and his presence is heavenly. Our Father in heaven, it tells us a lot about who God is and what he's like. Like I said, we can hardly scratch the surface this morning, and I'm, I'm trusting that the Spirit will continue to lead us all into a greater knowledge of our Heavenly Father as we pray this prayer together over the next several weeks. But not only do we find out something about who He is and what He's like, we learn something about ourselves. Like when I pray this prayer, I'm learning over and over again that I am a child of my Heavenly Father, that I'm an heir with Christ. Like, the Lord's Prayer reminds me of who I am to God. And although I don't often realize it or feel much like I'm that special, this prayer, from the very start, reminds me of who I am and who I'm growing up to be. Right? I'm a child of God, and therefore, I'm growing up into godliness. That's who I'm becoming. Not only does it inform me of who I am and who I'm becoming, but as all these things sort of collide together in my heart, it changes the way I pray. I come to him, not, not as though he's a distant, uh, wish granting genie who might come through, nor as a God who I'm merely hoping to appease in some way or some other distorted way of praying to him. I come to him. And I find that first and foremost, he's my heavenly father, and I'm his child, and he wants to be with me. Which draws me in to want to be with him. And to be in his presence is heavenly. It's good, it's sweet, and it's life-giving, and it makes your heart feel like it's found its home. And still, there's one more very powerful reality that is announced in these four words that we haven't talked about, and we could almost miss it. It's that word, our. We could almost just look right over it, but this whole prayer that Jesus taught is prayed in the plural, right? Our Father, give us, forgive us, as we forgive, lead us, deliver us. And I think the beauty of the hour. The of this prayer is that it announces right away that we are not praying alone. Right? We are praying together with all of God's children. Even when we're not physically with one another, we who lift up this prayer are praying in solidarity with one another and with Jesus Christ, who is our brother, which curbs the individualistic perspective that we might have walked into the prayer with. Also, it reminds us that we are not praying for ourselves alone, but we are also praying for others, which I think also curbs the selfish attitude that we may have also walked in with. This is important because if we go back to that picture of heaven in Revelation, it's a reality where people of every tribe and every tongue and every nation hallow the name of God together, where they dwell together in perfect union with him and with one another. You know, we talk often around here about like this already not yet sort of reality. Meaning like we already have access to God and the life that he gives us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We already have the spirit who lives within us and we're even able to work with our Lord in his work of making all things new, right? We've been made ministers of reconciliation. But there's also a not yet. Like we're still clinging to this promise of heaven. We're still clinging to this promise of all things made new, of this beautiful union with God and with one another and all of his creation, but it's not yet fully come to fruition. And so sometimes for me, when the reality of this world gets too heavy, like with its denying of God and its captivity to sin and idolatry and its perpetual pain and suffering and death and killing, on days when hell on earth is an immediate reality and my hope of heaven begins to fade because of life here in the trenches. This prayer is like a bridge to the not yet from the already, where i met with gracious reassurance and hope. The hour of this prayer encourages me so much because There may be no other space where we together exist more fully in touch with the reality of heaven than when we pray the Lord's Prayer. You know, here, sometimes unity, it just feels so unattainable. Heaven seems so impossible. You know, turn on the news or jump on Twitter for a few minutes, like the hate, is burning hot. The division is deep and wide. And you just kind of go like, how can peace ever be real? What is it that I'm even believing? But as we come to our Father in heaven, we find an actual space, an actual present reality, where we are already like, joined in solidarity with all the children of God from every tribe and every tongue and every nation in and through the person and work of Jesus. And that's reassuring, and that gives you hope. We're spending something like the next eight weeks on the Lord's Prayer. I've got these stickers. You can get them in the back, over there, over there. They're sprinkled around if you want one. The point of these is that it would just be a reminder that you might... Pray this prayer repeatedly and slowly. So, we're going to spend eight weeks in it. We're going to practice praying it together, letting it become like a space for conversation with God. We're also spending several weeks going through Dallas Willard's hearing God. Um, study in our missional communities, and that study and the practices that go with it, uh, they're meant to get us all practicing prayer. All this is to get us to practice prayer, to make a space to meet and converse with God in prayer. So I want you to do all those things. But I want us to hear this. Paul Miller writes in his book, The Praying Life, that if you remove prayer from the welcoming heart of God, prayer becomes a legalistic chore, right? If you remove prayer from the welcoming heart of God, prayer becomes a legalistic chore. The first four words of this prayer in Matthew 6, our Father in heaven, are meant to reveal the welcoming heart of God to us. And so my hope this morning is that you'll see his welcoming heart that you'll see that the Lord's Prayer is not some rote line to, rec- to recite. It isn't meant to be a legalistic chore. None of these practices are meant for that. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is a direct invitation from Jesus to connect deeply with our Father in heaven and to, to, and, and to connect deeply to the present reality of his kingdom, to connect to the reality of heaven. A.W. Tozer wrote that God wills that we should push on into his presence and live our whole life there. I believe the Lord's Prayer is a doorway for us to do just that. And I honestly believe that a church of people praying the Lord's Prayer would be transformed in unimaginable ways and would become an unbelievable witness to the world of who Jesus is and the realities of his kingdom in both word and deed. So the invitation this morning is let, let's, let's push into his presence together as we practice these disciplines of praying the Lord's Prayer and learning to pray and, have a, and, and converse with our Lord. Over the next several weeks, I want us to practice doing just that together, to push on in to the presence of God together. And so I want to close with the time of saying the Lord's Prayer together. So I'm going to ask you if you're able and you're willing, I'd invite you to just stand and to join with me in this. I'm going to pray it one line at a time, and then I want you to pray that line after me. Does that make sense? I'll pray a line, and then you guys pray it together. And then I'm going to give us a moment between each line just to give us a time to consider the words that we're saying and all that we're invited into in our lives. So let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. but deliver us from evil. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week. We're going to do a few things. The band will come and they'll lead us in singing and worship. And then we're going to come and we're going to take communion together, the Lord's Supper. And as you come, there are giving baskets in the back where you can give your tithes and your offerings. If that's something you already do regularly and it slips out of your bank account, just know the point here is to remember that that's happening, to remember that God is who he says he is, that he's your provider, that he's the creator, that he's the giver of all good things. And take a moment to remember that act and that, that, that act of worship that you're already doing. Don't let it just be a habit. Let it be an, a praise habit. So take a moment to do that. And then as you come, you can come down the middle. And when we come, we we take a bread and we dip it in the wine or the juice. We also have cups with juice and a wafer on top if you prefer that. And we're coming and we're taking the bread, which represents the body of Christ that was given for us, the wine and juice, which represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, And remembering that Jesus, our brother, came and he died and he rose again to make us a child of God. We're coming and we're remembering this truth and we're proclaiming this truth to one another. And we're celebrating this truth as a family. We were not a family, but because of him we are now one family. And so if you're a Christian, we invite you to come and to take this with us. Remember Jesus. Proclaim this good news to one another and what we do in this eating and drinking. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll move into that time together. Our Father, I thank you for your great love for us. It is deep, and it is wide. We cannot comprehend it. I'm thankful that in light of who you really are, this Holy God, creator of all things, all powerful and mighty. Yet you take note of us at all. And not only that, but you make us yours. You, you identify us with you. You make us your children. You say that what you're worth, that's where we get our worth. And what you do, that we get to do that with you. We are yours. And I pray that that lands on us and like that we see you for who you really are but that we also get to see ourselves for who we are in light of that and that we would be met by your welcoming heart. We'd be met by your great love. Thank you for Jesus who is the ultimate demonstration of your great love for us. He came and died and rose again to make us your children. And as we come this morning, I pray that we'd remember that, that we'd proclaim that to one another, and that Jesus would be made known in this place and glorified and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen.